0: a debate a running debate around here about whether it was Felice Navidad or Felice Navidad and I don't have any solutions for that for you this morning but what a, what a great song what a great song what great fun to be loved by our kids it doesn't get much better than that uh, reminds me of a, a couple of parents who thought that they had carefully taught their kids the difference between the secular Christmas and the sacred Christmas and their child came home from school with a, with a piece of Christmas artwork for the refrigerator, you know. And it, it was just beautiful. You could make out the baby Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph, and, and there were the wise men. And you could pick out a camel and maybe a cow and some sheep and the shepherds. And then there was this rather large round man in, the, in a red suit. And the parents thought, oh, no, we must correct this. Honey, tell us in the Christmas story, who 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 is the round man in the red suit? And she said, "Oh, Mommy and Daddy, that that's Round John Virgin." <laughs> round John <young> Virgin. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, nothing like being blessed by our kids at Christmas. Um We continue in our series, you can't cancel Christmas. And uh, we're looking at different uh, villains through the years who have tried and failed. And um, we've looked at Herod, who tried and failed, and also um, at who? The Grinch, the Grinch who tried and failed. And uh, last week it was the the innkeeper who who tried and failed. Herod couldn't uh, wipe it out. And uh, the Grinch couldn't steal it away. And who was the last? The innkeeper couldn't shut out the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, the promises and the hope that's ours in Christ and Christmas. You can't cancel Christmas. But this morning, we're going to take on probably the one who is known as the great villain of Christmas. Do you remember this guy? After hope, joy, and peace, here he is, Ebenezer Scrooge. How many of you are familiar with A Christmas Carol, that story? It's probably one of the most classic stories of Christmas, and Christmas and its redeeming power in people's lives. Scrooge, he's here being played by uh, George C. Scott. This was a 1984 version. I have found that for this particular story, there might be at least a dozen productions of this, and... Films through the ages, almost every decade, there's a fresh one that comes out, one of the you know, Bill Murray had one, uh, who, who was the guy that's the captain of Star Trek? He, he had one recently, uh, it's, it, it's amazing how many times this story has been told and retold, and so it must, must have uh, some staying power about it. But this morning, we're going to look at Ebenezer Scrooge, the miser who would have nothing to do with Christmas. Of course, he was disillusioned by the Christmas that Christmas had become, not the Christmas as it was. He he was a, a man of commercial means, and he thought that this was just a commercial trap for all the suckers out there who were willing to throw away their money. After nothing, he would keep his money. He was a man of miserly means. He would not pay Cratchit any more dollars than those for which he had earned his wage. Tiny Tim was none of his concern. He was a miser. He was a man with a shut, closed, loveless heart. Uh, That was Ebenezer Scrooge. Reminds us of one that Jesus described, one that comes to steal and kill, kill and destroy. But I've come, he said, that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know, we usually think of Luke and Matthew telling the Christmas story, and both of them do tell us the narratives of that, but that doesn't mean that Christmas is absent in the other Gospels. In John, though the story of Jesus' birth is not necessarily told in the same narrative way that it is in Matthew and in Luke, it's still there. It's still there. The light has come into the darkness, though the darkness could not comprehend it. Flesh... Has taken on, uh, The Word has taken on flesh among us. John doesn't tell us the what that happened. John tells us the why hap- it happened as well. In that first chapter, he talks about it being God's expression of grace upon grace. His way of favoring the world. This was what God did. And in John 3.16, he gets around to telling us both the what and the why. God had so loved this world. That's the original why. That, that's the, uh, the source, the motivation for this Christmas story. God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved that he gave. That's the way it expressed itself. God's heart for you is not just an attitude with folded hands in heaven. God seeks to engage us embrace us with his love his attitude of love always takes action and it took action here that's the only kind of love that's real love otherwise it's just sentimentality a song's not a song until you sing it a bell's not a bell until you ring it and love in your heart wasn't put there to stay love isn't love until you give it away When God loved us, He gave. He gave His very best. He gave us His Son. And not only was that the origin of His heart, it was in love, the aim of His heart was love. Love for you and me. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, all of us down in whosoeverville, whosoever who might turn to Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you hear the dichotomy of those two options? Oftentimes we rush right by the shall not perish to get to have everlasting life. But some have said that Jesus is that Rorschach test for the heart of all humanity. What do you see when you look at Jesus? It's the great dividing place like an ocean uh, uh, vessel a great tanker cutting through the ocean it divides us to one side of the other what do you make of this expression of the love of God for each and every one of us God so loved the world that he gave and I suppose one of the authentic responses to that kind of love would be to do what the wise men did They, to some degree, recognized the majesty and the grandeur of who Christ was. But I think God was working, even through the wise men, to do things through them that they did not have the instincts or the knowledge to know how to do. He was the one that was writing this story. And for his son, he sent these wise men with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him with these gifts, and gold was the gift of a king. It was the king of metals. The king of gifts was gold in order to recognize in Jesus as our great provision, our great provider, our benevolent reign and ruler, right? He was the king, and so they worshiped him. They worshiped him with uh, frankincense, which was the, 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 the tool of a, of a priest. That uh, They would burn it as incense of uh, worshiping God. And Jesus is the priest. He stands in the middle as a mediator between us and God, showing us more extravagantly and completely than any other witness in this world has ever and will ever seen. We see in Jesus the expression of God's love for us. He reveals the Father to us. But he also represents all of us to God as our high priest. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He is our representative before God, and as he pleads our case before God, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to pour out his grace on us through his Son. That's not just what happened at Christmas. That's what happens every moment that God pours out his love upon us as people. Jesus is our priest. And so we worship Him, recognizing who He is. It calls forth this response from our own hearts. But finally, that last gift was the gift of myrrh. It was the gift of a, of a, of a, a very expensive, costly spice. Only those who, who really had a lot would be able to bury those that they loved with, with the gift of myrrh. Joseph of Arimathea must have come to, to bury Jesus in these kinds of, of spices. And so even in his birth, the gift that is given him preconceives that he is the great sacrifice, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so we worship him for what he does for us as God's redemptive agent. God chose Jesus to be our door to his own embrace. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so we love him we worship him too but you know there's another way that you can worship jesus he made it really clear to us in in his in his own parables that we can love like god when we give as well when lord when in in matthew 25 they they ask when when we did we didn't realize that we were doing it as unto you When, when did we feed you when did we visit you in prison When did we bless you in the way that you have blessed us? And Jesus said, whenever you've done it, under the least of these, my brothers, my sisters, you've done it unto me. Right? Even though now his physical presence is no longer with us, we can love him, which we cannot see by blessing and loving the brother and sister that he has made our neighbors for us that we can see. When you did it unto the least of these, you did it as unto me. I'm so thankful I'm a part of a church that gives us opportunities to love one another and love our neighbors like that. As we go around and look at the the lights and we just share fellowship with one another as we reach out to our single moms and empower them to bless their kids with with a blessed Christmas, we're doing unto the least of these, our brothers and sisters. We're loving Christ when we love our brother. There's no one that you can bless that it does not bless the heart of God. You want to know how to really bless me? Bless my kids. Bless my kids. You want to endear and and overwhelm my heart? Do something beautiful for them. Is that not true? Is it not true for all of us? And, And so, Max Lucado, I think, rightly puts it, God's love makes me God's child. And that same grace, that same love, makes my neighbor my brother and my sister. And so we are challenged to complete the circuit. God's love for us, God's love for others, by, by completing the circuit, we love one another as He has loved us. Amen. And that's how the world knows that we belong to Him because of the way that we love one another. You can't cancel Christmas. You especially can't cancel Christmas' love. God has expressed Himself historically, and nothing can erase that. Nothing can take that away. God has spoken. He's made it absolutely clear. The worth that you are to His heart, the price tag hangs from a tree 2,000 years ago. It could not be discounted. His love could not express itself with anything less. His love for you expressed through Christ. What an incredible, incredible expression that is. Scrooge didn't have a giving heart. He was not willing to complete that circuit, I think because his own heart had never been truly touched by the source of that kind of love. Scrooge he wouldn't give he was a miser and you know Cheryl and I not too long ago we went down to the Tulsa theater and we saw a christmas carol and it it was pretty good you know i remember feeling leaving with warm feelings in my heart and but i but i went back and i watched the george c scott version have any of you seen that thing it is scary it's downright haunting and terrifying It's amazing what can be used to awaken a heart to love. Sometimes it's affection-winning love. But some of our hearts are so stubborn and so closed that it takes almost a nightmare to wake us up. And that's what Scrooge experienced. Do you remember? He first is visited by... His partner and his friend that is passed on ahead of him and now realized his mistakes. And he comes to him in the chains of his own making because of his own stubborn, unwilling to love heart. And he pleads with his friend, Ebenezer Scrooge, to change his ways before it's too late to learn to love. And in order to help him to learn to love, he will be visited by three spirits. I think almost three demons. And they come and they show him Christmas past. And they show him Christmas future. And they show him Christmas present. And none of it looks very good. And Scrooge is so terrified by what he sees that his heart melts. He doesn't want that kind of future. He wants to turn away from that kind of past. He wants to live in a different kind of presence. And all of a sudden, his heart turns. The biblical word for that is he repents. He repents and... That particular Christmas, he decides to live from a different well. Drinking on the love of God that's his, he loves Tiny Tim. He loves Cratchit. He gives him a bonus. His heart and his life is transformed because he's no longer man, a man who does not know how to give and only how to take. He's a man who's learned how to give and to give with joy. Scrooge was transformed. By the reality of what it would mean to reject love, to scorn it. And folks, I, I, I hate to tell you this this morning, but that's a part of the story. That's a part of the Christmas story. We, we've often read John 3.16. But how many times have you read further to John 3.36? Here's how it reads. I can find it. 26. He who believes, he's he's recapping this whole chapter. John 3 16 is a part of that. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And did you read just a little bit farther after that that Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved? But men have loved the darkness and preferred the darkness. And so they've run from the darkness. They've condemned themselves in doing so as if they failed that great Rorschach test to, uh, to, to understand who Jesus is for them. They've run to the darkness that says because they love the dark and holding to their evil deeds rather than running to the light and seeing that all that they were, all that they were of value was wrought in God. Verse 36 ends this way. It's kind of the the flip side of that same uh, coin. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus is God's chosen instrument, doorway of reconciliation for all humanity. To walk through that door, to receive that door, that love is a great, great joy, but do you understand that every person that you will ever lock eyes with, the, 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 the other side of that coin is just as true. If they reject Jesus, if they dismiss Jesus, if they misunderstand Jesus, what He's done for them in this world, if they turn their backs on that great a love, what hope is there for Him? They have condemned their own souls. Just as we could have condemned ours. But thanks be to the grace of God, our eyes were opened, our hearts received. The why. Why? He came to His own. And those who were His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. This is the gift of Christmas. God's love, His redemptive love in His Son, and it's meant for every person that you will ever lock eyes with. God died... He sent His Son to die on that cross for our sakes and for all those other potential brothers and sisters. We can claim our neighbors already because of what Christ has done for us. He's done for all if they can only receive it. God so loved that He gave. And when we love like Him, we give too. We give too, but I want to place this before us this morning as a dichotomy of choices. God's love or God's wrath. There's really no in between. Matthew 25 that we mentioned earlier. He calls us to love, and he calls us to love our brother and sister in a way to love him. As you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. But the story doesn't end there in verse 40. It goes on. It's not just the parable of the sheep, it's the parable of the sheep and the goats, and you get to choose which you want to be. And the goat said, Well, when when? When did we ever see you? We didn't mean to offend. We thought this was a live and let live kind of equation, you know? We'd try not to offend you and you'd try not to hassle us. We thought this life was not so much a decision and not so much a Rorschach test. We always looked for you in the world and then criticized you because we couldn't always see you. But this life is not a test so much about... You proving yourself to us, God, but about us proving ourselves to you. Do we really want and receive that great gift of love? When did we see you? When did we neglect you? And Jesus basically says, when you neglected the least of these, my brothers, so you did it unto me. Depart from me into everlasting torment. Scrooge he wasn't a giver he was a miser he was failing that test of understanding God's love for him and responding to it now let me help us think about this a little bit this morning how is it that a God that loves us this much could ever have such wrath. Many theologians and many thinkers have tried to make that antithesis to God, that that does not make sense of one who loves us, that they could ever have wrath upon any of us. But let me tell you something, folks. Love, when it's intense, when it's real, when it's honest, even God's love is jealous. Not in the sense that it's jealous of you, but it's jealous for you. He doesn't want you to settle in this life for any lesser a God than Him, than any less of a Savior than Him. And because of that, His his heart is fully in this. He's not holding back. He's not waiting for us to act first and prove ourselves. While we were yet sinners, God proves His love for us by going to a cross, by giving His best and giving His all. Let's go on to the next slide, if we will. Now, there's a scene. There's a scene. I want you to think of God's love in Christ this morning as a proposal. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through about 20, I think, depicts this proposal. Let me just read it to you. 2 Corinthians. I don't have my usual Bible this morning, so things aren't where they're supposed to be on the page. I apologize for that. Here it is, 18 through 20. Now, all these things are from God. I I want you, can you see God before you on his knee proposing when you hear this? Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us this world—a word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As through Christ, we are entreating, God is entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, the equation is already laid out. And it's as if God has proposed to humanity and He's poured out His heart and His soul and His life and His blood to make this kind of reconciliation and union possible. It's as if God is at an altar awaiting our response. He's already said His I do. He's already shown us His I do. And what he did through us through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. Can you come to an altar with someone who has loved you like that and then walk away and think you're going to be friends? Much less can, can you walk away from a love like that and even if that one that loves you that much loves you, think about their father? I'm so glad we don't have a heavenly mother. Talk about wrath. You understand what I'm talking about? This this is the equation. It's not, well, God, what have you done for me? What should I do for you? Oh my gosh, that misses the whole picture. That dismisses the whole story. That leaves you in a life justified to be Scrooge. But that is not the truth. And if we have to talk about God's wrath occasionally, like Jeff will do this next week, in order to awaken us to the reality of the depths and the intensity of that love that has already been poured out and expressed for us, then maybe every now and then we ought to have a little nightmare. Maybe every now and then we need to awaken to the great gravity of what we make of this. It's not just tinsel and lights. It's light and darkness. It's life and death. And and that's our choice. And God has made it our choice because of what He's already done. Really, He leaves us with nothing left to do but receive Him. And then once we've received Him, to live life in relationship with Him. Wouldn't it be bad if... You went to an altar at your marriage and then you never hung out with each other anymore. And so this passage goes on to say not only receive him, that those who believed in his name, but it ends in 336 where it says, and those who have obeyed him, who have lived into that reckless abandon to that kind of love, that they can obey and it always be joy no matter what it costs. That's the kind of life with God that God wants to have with us. You can't cancel Christmas. You at least cannot cancel Christmas love. God has expressed it, not just as a concept of heaven and not just through the words of poets and conceivers and philosophers. He, with blood and flesh and tears and joy, came and embraced us, even if the cross was something that he had to take on between us and that full embrace. He was willing to do it. He laid down his life because of the Father's love and because of those of us he loved. So, love your brother. Love your sister. Christmas is another opportunity for that. It's yet another opportunity to worship in the truth, worship him in the truth of who he is. Don't leave God at the altar. Don't let any of your friends miss the fact that they've been loved like this. And when you're loved like this, to walk away is the greatest of insults. God has acted in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself, and still to this day, his heart is entreating through us, his ambassadors, as we love one another, be reconciled to God. I treat you as my brother and my sister. You ask me why? Because God has made us family already. And what he's done for me, he's done for you. So open your heart to him, be flooded with love to the point that you overflow, and start loving your brother and your sister in his name. That's what it means to be family in God. That's what it means to come home for Christmas. Her name was Madeline, and she was just a little girl on Christmas Eve. Her dad was kind of toying with her. her his name was Joe. He was a butcher in Minnesota, and their, their family Christmases were simple, but they were precious. It was after dinner, and everybody's stomach was swollen with that big Christmas dinner that night. And Little Madeline ran and jumped up in her daddy's lap and said, Daddy, is it time for our dance? Can we dance now? And he feigned. Oh, honey, I'm so full. I'm not, I'm not sure I can dance tonight. Oh, but daddy, we must. We dance every Christmas Eve. Don't you know, daddy, you promised, did I now? Grandmother, as she turned to pick up the plates, kind of smiled, knowing he was just toying with the child. And he said, of course, how could I forget? And for just a few moments, his wife was alive again as he took his daughter and her daughter, which bore her resemblance so innocently they would dance on Christmas Eve. He and his wife would have danced on Christmas Eve forever, but it didn't turn out to be so. They were older in their years, and her pregnancy was complicated, and she didn't make it, though Madeline did. Madeline was all that he had left of her, and so he loved his daughter double. But the story didn't end there. Rebellion blew into their home like a Minnesota blizzard, she was about 16 on those years where you're starting to experience some of your new freedoms and rebellion overtook her and Joe just couldn't understand with his wife gone he didn't understand the tight shirts he didn't understand the, the disrespect he didn't understand the dropping grades he didn't understand the late nights and he didn't understand that lanky boy down the road who seemed to have all of her attention Joe knew he wasn't any good. It wasn't just his, his tattoos and uh, his disrespect to him. It was the way he wouldn't look him in the eye. It was the way he smirked when he walked away with his daughter. He knew he was no good, and so it just came out that night. It was Christmas Eve again, and he said, Honey, I'm sorry, but there's no way you're spending Christmas Eve with that boy. You're going to be here on Christmas Eve. You're going to eat your grandmother's pie, and we're going to enjoy Christmas Eve as a family. And so sullenly, she came to Christmas Eve that night. She didn't want to be there, and she made sure everybody knew it. Joe didn't know what to say to her, how to appeal to her, but she knew exactly what to say. And everything she said were insults to her father, communicating how much she didn't want to be there. And finally... As they put on the music that night, and he crossed the room and asked his daughter, hoping that this would somehow penetrate her heart, Honey, can we dance together again this Christmas Eve? She shrugged and huffed and got up from where she was and ran outside the door. He knew where she was going. He didn't know she wouldn't come back. That night, she and that lanky boy left town. The authorities said that the last place that they could trace them to was a bus station there in town and some tickets that were bought for the city of Chicago. I'm sorry, Joe, they said. She's just gone. We can't trace her from there. But that wouldn't satisfy a father's heart. He didn't know what had happened, but he would come to discover it. They'd gone on to Chicago, and there in Chicago, things had gotten tough. They had no way of making money. They got hungry, and then that boy thought of his cousin in southern Houston. He worked in a convenience store. He had an extra room, and so they went all the way to Houston. They could stay in the spare room at night as long as they paid a, a, a meagerly uh, uh, a rent, and they had to be out of the house whenever he was out of the house, and so during the days, they had to find someplace else to be, but that was fine for them. They could get a job, and He could be a mechanic, though he knew nothing about automobiles, and she had never looked for a job. It's crazy what you'll believe when you're intoxicated on freedom. But they had a hard time finding jobs, and when it came time to pay the rent, they didn't have what was due, and the cousin kicked them out. And When the cousin made his decision, her boyfriend made his, that he was going to find some other lucky one to... Grace with his prayer, he left her right there on the street. She had no place to go, no place to stay. A lady in the park told her about the shelter. She went to the shelter. She stayed there one night, and as she turned towards the wall, in that place that was too loud to get any sleep, she thought for a moment about those Christmas Eves and her father's strong and warm embrace. She began to cry, and then she stuffed the tears back down She couldn't feel them. She couldn't go there if she was going to survive these streets. The next morning when she woke up, a girl that had been in the cot next to her said, this is my last night in this place. And she reached into her pocket and pulled out a wad of cash. She said, I found a place where you can make this kind of money. I I dance on tables at this place right down the street, and they're looking for more girls. You don't have to live like this if you don't want to. I'll make sure you get in. Her stomach rolled, repulsed by the idea. The, the girl gave her a match box and, and said, here it is, here's the club, here's the number, you just call, and she slipped it into her pocket and said, thanks, I'll think about it, but she tried not to. By the end of the week, she had almost forgotten about it. She came back to the shelter. She didn't have the few bucks that she needed in order to stay there that night. She reached into her pocket to try to find some change and pulled out that matchbook, and there was the number. It's amazing how hunger can soften your convictions. She saw the address. She went there. She got the interview. She got the job. Soon she had dollars in her pockets, and it wasn't anything she was proud of. She was actually ashamed of it, but at least she was getting by. She was making her own way, and there are a couple of weeks thereafter. The cousin came by. He had some letters that had been delivered erroneously to his address, He didn't know her address, he didn't know her address for forwarding, so he just had to bring them to the club. But it wasn't just one letter, it was a box of them, a shoebox full. She thanked him for the box and put it on the shelf, and he said, you've got to give your dad your, your new address. She ran her fingers across the top of those envelopes, thinking she might open one, but then she decided, no, I can't. I can't, I know what it'll say. I know how he'll feel, and that'll break my heart. I, I, I better not. And she stuffed all those emotions back down inside again, in order to survive the world and the choices that she had made for herself. But the letters kept coming. They kept coming, and they kept coming, and she kept kept ignoring them until finally, on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve a letter came but it wasn't from the cousin and it wasn't in a box it didn't even have a postmark on it it lay on her dressing table desk there in the club and she saw the letter same color same handwriting same shape she knew where it was from and the lack of a postmark alarmed her she turned She says anybody know anything about this letter one of the other girls says yeah a big guy came in here earlier this week said he "You'd, you'd know the message and you'd understand She said he was here he found this place he came here she said yeah I guess he had to so she opened that letter and she started to read it honey I I know where you are and I know what you're doing and what I've said in every letter is still true she reached for another letter and she opened it. It was the same message again. Reached for another. Before long, there was a, a pile of letters opened and tears streaking down her face. She called the bus station and got on a bus. She thought maybe she just might make it by the end of Christmas Eve. And so she did. Things were almost over. The, the, the family was starting out of the house. And she came in a backpack over one shoulder and that, that card still clinging to it in the other. Joe, I think somebody's here to see you, the uncle said as he bumped into her going out the door. And Joe put down the kitchen dry rag and left his mother and started into the living room and just froze as he saw his daughter in the doorway. He saw the question in her eyes even before she spoke it. The answer's yes, she said. The answer's yes. That is, if the offer's still good, Dad, the answer's yes. And he said, yes. The is still good. It's always good. It'll never not be good. And that night, Madeline and Joe danced again. And on the floor near the door was the card, and it was flipped up, and you, you could read it if you chose. It was to her Madeline and it was signed by him and underlined was that message that had been in every single letter won't you come home and dance with your papa again do you see it do you see that invitation in that stable It's got your name on it. And the offer's still good. If it's been offered you a thousand times and you've rejected it every time, the offer's still good. What will your answer be? How do you respond to a love that great, a love that good? Would you say yes? Do you know someone else who doesn't understand the depths of that love and desperately needs to? Are you aware of some other kind of Scrooge in, in your circle that needs to know they're loved like that? That kind of love compels a response. What will yours be? Know that this morning the offer is still good. The offer is still good. If you'll respond. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. The one who has come for us. We bless you for Christmas. We thank you that the cradle became the cross and became a crown. And now you rule and reign. The one that came for us and loves us. And Father, we hear that great proposal that you've made to each of us in Christ. Know our response, Lord God. whether we come to this altar by how we live it out in the world. Father, we pray that we can leave this place this morning as those who have received that great, incomparable, immeasurable gift, the unfailing love of our God in Jesus Christ. We come, Lord Jesus, however we do it, to you this morning as we stand and sing, amen.